This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. I want to ask you, have you ever been in a crowd and heard someone call out your name? Probably yes. Uh, I, If you're anything like me, when you hear your name in a crowd, it causes you to stop or at least pause what you're doing. And you may know this, but you may not, that how you react is highly dependent on whether or not you recognize the voice. And this phenomenon is really easy to see in children. Often I bring my son, Eli, who's four, with me when I pick up our older son, Marcus, from school. And in one of the grade one classes, there is a family we're getting to know who also have a little boy named Eli. And he's six. And often our kids are playing near each other in the playground. Now, one day recently, a group of kids from the school ran through the schoolyard gate and started to play on the playground. And so when it was time to go, I started, as I do, yelling, Marcus, Eli, towards all the kids who were playing. And immediately you could see my kids react to my voice. They looked up for a moment and then instantaneously decided to ignore me in order to keep playing. And of course, that's not what I intended, but I also know I'm not the only parent that has that experience. Now, what's interesting is the other Eli, he looked up too. And when he saw it was me and knowing that I'm a dad of a different Eli, he peacefully went back to chasing kids, including mine. And I stood there like a moron every few minutes calling out the names for my children to come because parents aren't supposed to be on the schoolyard yet. And this little girl who was playing nearby came up to me and her mom was talking to the mom of the grade one Eli. And she said, why are you calling for Eli? And I had to explain to her that I had a son, Eli, too. You know, it is amazing how you can recognize a voice in the crowd. I bet if my mother started to call out my name in the middle of a busy mall, I would feel like a child all over again. And I've read that in the third trimester, a baby can begin to recognize its mother's voice. A baby shows preference for the sound of its mother's voice or for the sound of other female voices. And soon after birth, a baby also has a preference for its father's voice as well as the voice of other close families and friends and caregivers. People are not that great at distinguishing between a multitude of human voices. But we are good at being able to identify the voices of close family and friends. If I were to ask you to identify the voice of your first grade teacher or the person you sat next to on the bus, it would be likely difficult. However, you'd probably be able to tell people that are closest to you. If you are able to distinguish the voices of those closest to you, are you able to distinguish the voice of God? You know, people talk about being able to hear from God, and many think that sounds a bit crazy. How do you learn how to identify the voice of God and be able to hear him when he is actually speaking to you? 
This spring, we're talking about the I am statements found in the Gospel of John. And in looking at these statements of Christ, they teach us what it means to follow God and live in light of his death and his resurrection. And a few weeks ago, we discussed I am the bread of life. And we discussed how Jesus is the one that sustains us and nourishes us at all times. His body was broken to give life to the world. Last week, we looked at the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. We saw how Jesus is our hope of new life and life everlasting, even when we find ourselves in the midst of tears. This week, we continue with our I am series by discussing the statement, I am the good shepherd. If you're watching uh, our gathering online service today, um, you've heard our reading for today, John 10. And if you are able, I encourage you to follow along in the text. Or um, if you're watching this recording right when the gathering service is happening, you can also follow along on the YouVersion app as we have some notes there. So in the story that happened before this one, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And the disciples had asked Jesus who had sinned, you know, is it, his, is it the man? Is it his parents? Why is he blind? What made him blind? And Jesus responded, no one sinned, but it's happened so that the power of God might be displayed through him. So Jesus mixed mud with saliva and he heals the man. And the man was healed on a Sabbath day. Now the religious leaders, they are super upset and they insist that the man um, tell them how Jesus healed him. And they're irate that Jesus has done this. And so chapter 10 begins with Jesus addressing some of the Pharisees in the crowd who are with him. They've asked Jesus if they're among those that are spiritually blind. And Jesus answers that if they were actually blind, they'd be guilty of sin. But if they claim they can see, Oh, sorry. If they were actually blind, they'd not be guilty of sin. But if they claim they can see, then they are guilty. He is helping them discover their need for God and the reality that they too are sinners. And he continues by stating that anyone who attempts to enter into the sheep pen, not by the gate, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd. And Jesus transitions to an allegory here to help them understand who he is, and why he's come. He warns against those who enter into spiritual authority or leadership through personal or political connections or through education, manipulation, nepotism, corruption. The people saw political and spiritual leaders at that time as shepherds. And the Pharisees Jesus is speaking to are considered shepherds in their community. He's encouraging them to see who he really is while simultaneously warning them about their own posture. The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd and his sheep listen to his voice. He calls them, he leads them out. They follow after him because they know his voice. In the ancient world, the sheep were often kept in a common sheepfold like one big pen, monitored by a gatekeeper. And so the doorkeeper would regulate which shepherd brought and took sheep. And what I find is so amazing, that all these sheep are mixed up in the pen, 
But the sheep know which shepherd is theirs. When he calls them, they come. They do not follow others. The voice of the shepherd provides direction and leadership. The shepherd has this like special, beautiful connection with his sheep, and they know his distinctive call. Now, I found this like little funny, quirky video on YouTube that can help illustrate how this works. So I hope you enjoy this little video clip of a shepherd calling his sheep and some other people trying to see if they can call the sheep too. So the sheep can recognize the farmer's voice and they know he's speaking. You know, apparently the sheep try to communicate with the farmer as well. They bleat, they tell him if they need to move on to another pasture, when there's not enough food. So Jesus is using this allegory to highlight who he is and how he relates with God's children. And the Pharisees do not understand. They cannot perceive what Jesus is saying. They cannot understand the picture of Jesus as the shepherd. So he tries a different image. He says he's the gate for the sheep. In the ancient world, the shepherd was the door to the pen. He laid down across the opening, across the gate, to protect it from predators and to keep the sheep within. Jesus states that all those who are sheep do not follow thieves or robbers, but they do not listen to them. No, they, um, anyone who comes into the sheep pen through him, the gate will be saved and they'll find pasture. And as they come in and as they come out, they will experience life and life to the full, abundant life. And I find it interesting here, if you look at the text, if they come in and they come out. And it's because in the Hebrew day, uh, the day started with sundown. So your day begins with coming in from work and rest. We begin the day with rest, dining, and then we go out at the end of the day to work. So Jesus says that he will grant this group that is coming in and going out, he'll grant them pasture. He brings them satisfaction and stability. Coming and going is meant to include every aspect of a person's life. And he's come to bring them life, but not just life, but life of abundance. They'll experience a surplus of the goodness and the beauty of God. And he promises a life where people will be spiritually, emotionally, and relationally whole. However, the thief, who is described as trying to enter into the pen another way, the thief only comes to steal, kill, destroy. Instead of bringing life, they bring death. And in the context of the text, Jesus is contrasting himself to the one, contrasting himself, the one who knows the sheep, the one who's the true gate, with the thieves and the robbers. 
And it's believed by many scholars that the thieves and the robbers are actually referring here to the false teachers. At that time, there were many people claiming to be the Messiah, gathering these big crowds of followers as they promised to bring revolution to the nation of Israel and free them from the clutches of the Roman Empire. Jesus could have been stating that his followers were able to discern who is speaking the truth and who is leading them astray. Furthermore, the teaching adds on this dynamic that following Jesus brings life and a life of abundance, while following the, te the teachings of the false teachers brings death and destruction. Now, many people have used this verse, John 10, 10, out of context, and they use it to refer to the devil himself. And I myself even do that quite regularly. And I do not think it's misused to apply it to the evil one. I think these characteristics of him desiring to steal, kill, and destroy are correct. The false teachings that Jesus is warning about here are techniques that Satan uses to work back then and that he continues to use today. And so in contrast, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And when you hear Jesus called the good shepherd, I want to ask you, what comes to mind? The good shepherd is contrasted with the hired hand. The true shepherd comes with love, calling, care, sacrificial service. He's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And after Jesus promises to bring life to others, he then speaks of giving up his own. He does so in a voluntary way for the sake of others. However, the hired hand runs away and is described as someone who does not truly care about the sheep. I think many of us have unfortunately experienced a shepherd who seems to think that a flock only exists for their own benefit. We've seen pastors and leaders who seem to use ministry as their own platform to boost their own self-esteem or to receive affirmation from other people. And Jesus describes how he, the good shepherd, he lives and he dies for the good of his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. He knows their individual personalities. He knows their little quirks. His sheep know him. There's this reciprocal knowledge and personal relationship. Jesus's relationship with his sheep is similar to his relationship with his father. It's intimate, it's mutual, and the depth of relationship is nothing like the connection of just a hired hand with his flock. We're reminded that because Jesus is so intimately connected to his father, that his work and authority are deeply rooted in his relation, uh, that all of his work and authority are deeply rooted in Jesus's relationship with the father. So therefore we can trust his words his actions, his deeds, as Jesus reflects God the Father because of their deep connection. So in verse 16, a whole new thought enters into the conversation. Jesus says he has other sheep, not of this sheep pen. What is the significance of that statement and why include it, kind of slip it in to the teaching? Well, the sheep that Jesus is referring to here is likely the Gentiles. There are different pens, but there's only one flock, one shepherd. 
Jesus is bringing a community together that diversely represents the whole world, united by Christ himself. And we can see that he will do this through his death and his resurrection. He's gathering people to himself that spreads across every nation, ethnicity, language, culture. And Jesus is coming to restore and renew the entire world. He loves it so deeply that he dies. He knows that we cannot reconcile ourselves to God, that our sin, our brokenness, and our pride have destroyed relationships and destroyed our planet. We cannot fix our deepest problems on our own. So Jesus dies, forgiving our sins, raising back to life, making it possible for us to have a hope of eternal life with him. And this has been God's plan in order to deal with our rebellion and make it possible for us to be in relationship with him again. Jesus is a good shepherd. He says yes to laying down his life for us voluntarily and not just only one of us, but for all. He's not coerced. He's not forced. God's will does not set things in motion so that Jesus is somehow unable to reverse it. He chooses to die because of love. What other God or higher power is willing to do something so extravagant for us? So as we get ready to wrap up in conclusion, there's a few things from this passage that I think are important for us today. Firstly, we're invited to join this flock that Jesus is describing. All of us are following something or someone, whether we like it or not. It influences us and it determines our priorities and our values. Whether we're following politics, sports, economics, celebrities, these things all influence the decisions that we make and the perspectives that we have. These influences shape how we see the world. And inevitably, our priorities also can become something that we worship. They receive our attention, our praise, and our affection. You know, Marcus right now, my six-year-old, loves hockey, loves hockey. And I can already see how quickly hockey can become the most important thing. And it's crazy to dialogue with your six-year-old about how to keep things in their rightful place and not uh, make things more important than they should be. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. None of these other things will bring us the life that Jesus has for us. Not only that, but actually following any of these other voices that are vying for attention, what it does is it brings death. We cannot experience the life that God has for us any other way than fixing our attention on Christ and pursuing him. Jesus invites us to turn from other things and follow him. Celebrities, self-improvement, body image, wealth, fame, success, promotions, possessions, security, even good policy will not rescue us in the end. Some of these things are not evil in and of themselves, but if they are the thing that we believe will bring us life, it will bring dis destruction. If they become the most important thing, it brings death. 
Instead, Jesus invites us to be his sheep, to learn how to hear his voice. He invites us into a relationship with him. He invites us into intimacy with him and the Father. He invites us to receive his loving protection, guidance, and care. Friends, you need to hear again today, and I feel like I say it every week, but it's so important. Jesus is truly the best thing that you could ever fix your attention on, that you could build your life upon. He is the ultimate source of companionship, comfort, and care. If you feel aimless, he is your direction. If you are grieving, which so many of us are right now, he is your source of comfort. If you feel trapped, he is your freedom. If you feel despair, Jesus is your hope. You know, it takes humility and surrender to be a sheep, to listen to the shepherd. It takes dying to self. Many of us have a strong instinct that we know what is best for us. And it takes a lot of discipline to try to learn how to listen to God's voice and how to obey him. To place our entire lives under his lordship, our financial decisions, our romantic choices, our parenting style, our work, how we spend our free time and leisure, where and how we live. For followers of Jesus, all these things are meant to be placed at the feet of Jesus. Not only that, but also our faith community. We do not view these decisions to be made in isolation. We believe that every major decision we make not only affects us, but the people around us. And we seek to allow Jesus to be Lord and King in every aspect of our lives. So some of you are wondering, how do I learn to hear from God? How do I recognize his voice? Well, just quickly, I'm going to talk about some different ways that God speaks to us. Firstly, God speaks through his word. If you want to learn how to hear from God, read the Bible. It's a great place to start. Nothing God will ask you to do contradicts how he has asked his people to live in his word. Sometimes the Bible may be confusing. You will not understand it, but you can ask other people for help. And the daily practice, if you're able, of being in God's word can help you discern God's voice and his leading in your life. So that's one through his word. Two, through God's people. We often hear or can often encounter God speaking to us through the words of his people. Whether it's through a sermon, a conversation with a friend, a podcast, a great book, God can use his people to highlight for us who he is and what it means to follow him. It's good for us to grow in wisdom and discernment as we weigh the words of earthly people. It's okay to be paying attention to people's motives and checking to see if what people are saying truly aligns with scripture. It's also true that those who are truly close to God and hearing his voice should have some kind of fruit or evidence in their life to help you trust what they are saying. So do the actions and habits that other people are demonstrating align with what they are saying? 
Do they speak from a place of authenticity and humility? All of these things can be really helpful in learning how to hear how God speaks. And God can speak to you. It can take time to learn how to distinguish God's voice. We can second guess ourselves, confuse it with other voices, even with our own. But over time, we can learn how to distinguish God's voice. And there's a few ways that we can um, learn to distinguish God's voice. It's not natural. It's like, um, there are lots of ways that we can grow at it. One is that you can try journaling. And one of the things I've started doing is writing a question to God and then writing down whatever comes to mind as a response. And over time, it can help you distinguish if and how God is actually speaking to you. God's still small voice can take the form of thoughts that are embedded in your own, but you know that are not your own. It can be in the form of a conviction, in the form of a prompting, an impression, and you can learn to recognize God's voice through those experiences and through continual practice. As we get ready to go from here today, I want you to be encouraged that Jesus is truly the good shepherd. He'll lead us to good pastures and he loves us so much. He will not leave us or forsake us. He loves us so much that he came and he lived among us and he died for us so that we can be reconciled to God. The love of God is so great that it blows us away. This is the good news of the gospel that we need to cling to. So may we remember what a good shepherd we follow. May we learn to hear his voice, May we learn to follow him in every aspect of our lives. And as, I do, as we do, I believe that as individuals and as a community, we will grow to become more and more like him. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. You came and you lived among us. You lived a perfect life, never rebelling from God, always full of love. And God, we have fallen so short. We thank you that you loved us so much that you died for us. You are the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And Jesus, you're calling us. You're inviting us to follow you, and I pray that we would learn how to distinguish your voice. We live in a world with a lot of noise. YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, radio, television, it's endless. The amount of stimuli that we can have, like filling our brain. And I don't know about the people watching today, but I can be so addicted to, to my phone. Jesus, help us to learn how to hear you in the busyness of our culture and to set time aside for you. Help us to learn and grow as people who can distinguish your voice and know where you're leading us. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to you, that we know you more and more as our good shepherd and be obedient to you wherever you ask us to go. We pray these things in your name. 
which is so good and so powerful. We thank you so much for your love. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, friends, as you get ready to go, I'm just going to read this verse over you. Psalm 23, 1 to 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Go in peace. We'll see you soon. And be blessed. Good to be with you all today. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com and tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's message podcast.